we all, whether we have been pursuing you and trying to be connected to you or whether that is something we're considering for the first time, we all have um, imperfect and failed devotion to you. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And so in this time, as we find ourselves more of a mess than we want others to know, we also need your grace. We're more of a mess than we care to admit, but your love in Jesus Christ tells us that we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined because of Christ's work. May you make that um, good news available and real to us this morning where we need it. And we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. Amen. This, this weekend, um, I got to go and do, we got to do some things for a friend's birthday and got to go be out and about where, um, I don't know, I guess it, it's where other kinds of people tend to be able to go out and about. But a family of six with four small children, we don't go very often at, you know, nine or 10 o'clock to K Street, to the dive bar. Um, it's not a part of our weekly rhythm. Um, and, and at the dive bar, they really do have a, a mermaid, I guess, employee, who comes in and swims through the, the tank, the giant tank over top of the bar. And um, that really happened while we were at the dive bar, and, um, which is on K Street. And, so we were out and about and trying to yell at each other to talk to our friends because the music was so loud. And, um, and I, thought, uh, I thought about this phrase. I was thinking about the Bible while I was out at the dive bar. No. no I thought of this later on, but I, I thought of how Jesus appears to Paul and says, I have many people in this city. And, uh, and that phrase, that sort of captures what Jesus is trying to say to Paul in this vision to you know, the whole emphasis of staying in Corinth. I have many people in the city. And, and as we walked around on a Friday night, I saw the many people of, of this city. And it was lively and energetic. And it was, you know, it was the young 20-somethings doing whatever they do in those places. You know, I mean, <laughs> just being there and whatever that's about. You know, we see like, um, we saw... People out on the street, you know, doing the, um, what are the rickshaws? Is that what they're called? The bicycles, taxis that were out. Um, you know, we interacted with servers. We saw people, you know, doing way too much PDA out on the sidewalk. We saw homeless folks. There were the Lyft drivers who took us there and brought us back. Just these unique personalities and you start asking questions and suddenly they're telling you about their family history and their German roots and so just so many different people. It was just such an explosion in a couple of hours of the many people of this city, the city of Sacramento. And as God says this, or through Jesus in this vision to Paul, we're catching this encour- these encouraging kind of calling words to Paul just in the midst of a similar kind of rattling off of a description that we have in the book of Acts of all these very specific people that have come up in Corinth that have presented themselves as 
the Apostle Paul showed up there. There's Aquila and Priscilla, whose names come up after this. Their names come up a lot. They were, key, they were a key couple, a married couple, who were like a dynamo. Like they, they were like on the same page, and they were constantly involved in moving God's mission forward in all kinds of ways, traveling and doing things. A really a rare thing in any kind of, in all the marriages I've known, that two people would be so focused on the same thing that, that this is where they end up, and they end up like kind of this thread through the story. So, so Paul in Corinth meets them for the first time. And even they have, it's awesome because they have a house where he can stay, and they already have become Christians when they were in Rome, but they were kicked out because of a controversy where Claudius, who was in charge of Rome, kicked out all the Jews because there was some controversy that was creating a lot of problems over one of the, the, the writings that we have about it. says because of the, um, the, the um, conflicts because of Crestus, and that seems to be a misspelling of a very un misunderstood thing that was happening amidst the Jewish community as they grappled with Christ. Um, So that's where Aquila and Priscilla come from that in Rome. The gospel has already made its way to Rome. Paul hasn't ever gone there yet. And now he has a place to stay. And then this passage just keeps introducing us to people. There's um, Titius Justus, who becomes the alternate church site for this Corinth church. Um, City Life Church has been in five separate locations. I was just telling somebody about that, and this we've been here for two years. Um, that's part of you know we this this church started almost eight years ago, and that's kind of part of the life of things. The Apostle Paul's method was he was an expert at Judaism, a teacher, a Pharisee, um, you know, like had his doctorate in Judaism, you might say and was used to going over the scriptures and teaching, and people listened to him, and he commanded that kind of crowd and that kind of... So he would, now that his life has completely turned around and he sees the whole Judaism thing through the lens of Jesus, he just confidently, wherever he would go, because God had sent him out to go places, the no-brainer was to walk into the local synagogue and begin explaining the scriptures they knew and to tell his own story. You know, it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty strong argument that here I am, I was an expert, and look at how all these scriptures actually point to Jesus and blah, 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 and he goes on and on. And then, and then in each place, usually that would stir up trouble, right? Because it was kind of like, well, what do we do? Like, some people are buying it, others aren't, right? You know, and, and this guy keeps showing up every, every week, and we can't just chill out with the status quo and enjoy, enjoy our comfortable worship. Because we always are wondering, are we supposed to reorient this whole thing around Jesus? I mean, it was, you can imagine and have a little sympathy for these Jewish people that Paul would kind of barge in on and introduce Jesus to. So they kick him, they get violent. It says, how does it say it in this passage? There's so many examples of this. They became abusive, it says in, in verse 6. So then what does he do? Then he's got the house next door, the passage tells us. Titius Justice, and now that's where the church, that's the people who came over. Okay, so this is all very cool and encouraging and incredible. God has these people in mind as he sends Paul to Corinth, and then he scores, we learn, he scores Crispus, who's the synagogue leader. 
And that's just giving kind of brushstroking and saying basically things are going really well because you know that with the synagogue leader is going Paul's way towards the Christian interpretation of the Jewish scriptures, a whole bunch of people are coming along with him. And then it's your, maybe your imagination like mine just plays a little bit with how funny that might be or interesting that would be. These, now they're side by side. This is like people are on their way to synagogue and I don't know if they had A-frame signs out on the dirt road like we do, but you know, uh, you know, just what was on those signs and one was for the new, new Jewish movement and the other one was, you know, and people maybe would decide like they were leaning towards Paul's message and they get there one Sunday morning and they just have this aha moment and so instead of going left, they go right. I don't know. But Titius Justice, he's got the house next door. Now they've got a place uh, to meet as they go through the scriptures and consider Jesus. And then the kind of the final wrap-up of this, which is a rare way to say this amidst all of the um, cities Paul has just been to, is that many of the Corinthians, well, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household, verse 8, his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. And then Jesus shows up and gives him this, I have many more people in this city. In the, so clearly Corinth is this extraordinarily fruitful and successful place. And um, we could even look at it today and have the historical perspective of the importance, if you've been in the church for a while, you get a little bit of a taste of the importance of Corinth and the Corinthian church for us even because of these two huge epistles in the New Testament that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that containing you know, really crucial, incredible things that the church keeps going back to. The global church around the world keeps going back to these letters to understand what are we as a church. And, and you know, just one popular example of how if you go to a wedding this summer, there's a really good chance you'll hear the results of Paul going to Corinth in the eventual letter that has the eventual chapter 13, which says love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not self-seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs. That's, that's a good thing for marriage, <laughs> that, that line right there. And, that, and so that just, there's this big sense of the success and fruit of Corinth. Now here's the interesting part. As Paul shows up at Corinth, he's dejected and he's convinced because of what he's just gone through of, a, of just a track record of failure and fruitlessness. And he's not even planning to show up at Corinth. It was off the natural path that he was on. And it's because of the failure and fruitlessness of the last couple of towns and cities that had him even turning and going I think it's the Aegean Sea, getting on a boat to get away from the people who wanted to kill him and go to Athens. And then in Athens, people gave him polite interest, and some people became Christians in Athens, but it doesn't seem at all to be anything close to Corinth. It seems a lot of it was just, oh, look at this charming new teaching. Let's, you know, we're all philosophers here in Athens. Let's, let's hear from you. But there doesn't, I mean, there's people mentioned, but it's nothing like, well, also, then he moves to Corinth. And this is what Paul says in his letter to the Corinthian church. His first letter, he says, in chapter 2, verse 3. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. That's how he arrived at Corinth. 
what, what, you know, what's really clear about that is that Paul, um, Paul was going to all these places and experiencing what I, what I won't do, I consider doing is going through all, every little verse from all these cities and each time that the Jewish people opposed him and agitated and tried to bring him before the authorities and they would get him stoned and they would get him in prison and this happened ev- over and over and over and over. Everywhere he goes, he's getting kicked out of the town, he's getting beat up. And people from the synagogue would hear that he had traveled, so they would get on foot and travel to the next town to make his life miserable there, make sure he wasn't successful. So that's, his, that's, the, that's the trajectory when he arrives at Corinth. And he does, in Corinth, he's not looking for, the, he's not thinking this is a fruitful place to be. This is a place that um, was a commerce, seafaring town. It was a big city, 200,000 or more. And um, they had a temple on a hill to Poseidon. And there was, um, this is widely uh, documented, there was a thousand temple prostitutes employed, and then they would disperse throughout the city at night. And in, for 400 years before Paul showed up there, the reputation was strong, so strong about the, the nature of being Corinthian was to be sexually adventurous that they turned the word Corinth into a verb. Like, oh, that's, you know, you're being very Corinthian. Um, you're playing the Corinthian. That was, that was existed for 400 years already. And Paul shows up there. This is not the place he's imagining, this kind of crowd of, of comfort-seeking YOLO-type folks. And, uh, and he just comes there dejected. And then God says, I have many people in this city. A lot of times where we find ourselves is in places of fruitlessness. That, I didn't want to say it that way. We find ourselves in places of apparent fruitlessness and apparent failure. And it's as if God says, all right, these are my stomping grounds. This is where I have people. This is where I'm doing things in people's lives. I know their names. We find ourselves in these places and we, we don't imagine that God's doing anything. It looks unfruitful. It looks unsuccessful. Imagine some of the interactions you've had this week. You've been in places where you gave no credence or credit to the importance of a conversation you're having with someone. There's people that you were hanging around or someone that passed by you. And you just viewed it. If you're honest, you were in a place and in a moment when you viewed this as having zero significance or f- potential for fruitfulness of some kind of fruitful exchange or someone to be blessed through you. We're, we're in these kind of places all the time. And in a sense, what if in so many of these places, that's exactly actually where God wants to change you, use you, bring his grace into your life. And we shouldn't be super surprised because um, we, we put before you every week here and we rally around the concept of what is central to the Christian faith. Um, and we come before this table and there is uh, the chief symbol of the Christian church, this cross. And some of you 
Um, no, because of your background, you get, dip your hand in water when you come forward and you put the cross over you, which really says the importance of the cross as the symbol over and in and through which you live. And in the cross, what is the cross but a Roman execution uh, technique of failure and utter fruitlessness? And that's where Jesus' life and ministry ends up, and not only doesn't end. It becomes central to us. It becomes the way through which God, of all things, through the cross, to bring about the most fruitfulness for our entire for the cosmos, as Scripture says. Through the cross, the reconciliation process of the cosmos begins. There, you know, nothing, nothing, no end goal could be bigger than what Scripture explains the cross actually ends up involving. And we look at it, and everyone in Jesus' time looked at it as a place of utter fruitlessness and failure. And in God's own sense of humor with how he loves places of apparent fruitlessness and failure, Jesus even is able on the cross to meet one of those many people that he had in mind. In that interaction with the thief from Luke chapter 23, where, he, where the thief, one thief stands up amidst the accusations, the other one's throwing insults, the other one's throwing at Jesus, and, that, and Jesus says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Even in that play, even there's a tangible person Jesus meets in that face of apparent failure and fruitlessness that he shows his grace to. Somebody who was one of the earliest people I met as we came and moved to Sacramento to start City Life Church, his name was Darren. And Darren had a time in his life shortly before I met him. He was a ski instructor in the mountains, living you know, a Corinthian life and uh, a YOLO life. And, and he, he broke his leg and went kind of spiraled and hit a rock bottom kind of place. And he had a friend who, who he respected who was also a Christian. And what turned Darren's life around, he became a Christian upon considering the story of Jesus and the thief on the cross. Something about that exchange, today you'll be with me in paradise, to someone who was at the end point of their life of fruitlessness, apparent fruitlessness and failure. Darren resonated with that. The gospel of Jesus kind of flooded into his life through that. And I was able to be along the journey enough with Darren before he moved away from the city to see him end up being a youth pastor at a local church. Um... One of the implications, one of the side note implications of this is to realize something that, only, that some of you probably need to realize or, or you need to hear because of your background in church. You need to hear a very important implication of this passage that God is never going to be evaluating you on your evangelistic impact. And the reason I'm saying that is because it's so clear in this passage that God will do what he wants to meet and reach the people he wants. And, and it is unfortunate, I've heard a lot of people's stories and through this church, how big of a weighty burden people can carry and they have these messages and voices in their head. And some of you might have that where you, you've been told things about how aggressively you have to 
make God's work happen in other people's lives. And someone who has caught the glimpse of what the cross is and what the grace of Jesus is has to keep speaking against that because God is never, we know God is never going to evaluate you on your evangelistic efforts and impact because, or apparent success or failure because we know in general, anytime if you're a Christian, the, a message of evaluation comes up, your crap detector should be going off because your final evaluation happened through Jesus on the cross, and that's your foundation of a new life. Christ was evaluated and took this punishment so that your evaluation could be on his perfect record forever. So there may be reasons to try to reach out and love on people and connect and even talk about Jesus to people, but never is that reason that God is waiting around as if he can't do it without you. Um, he can take someone absolutely in fear and dejection and weakness and start one of the most important churches in history in that moment. And he can list the people who are a part of it. And we can see the list today. And I think if you can relax and see that and trust God, um, he'll work marvelously through us and he'll probably drop seeds of humor along the way. You want to see one of them in this passage. We didn't read all the way through it, but this is so delightful in a way. Is that as the passage continues, basically, Corinth, the Jews in Corinth try to do the same thing that everybody's been doing to Paul. Take him before some kind of authority and kind of try to articulate what Paul's been doing in a way that the, the Roman government would be suspicious and they'll boot him out or, they'll, or worse. Maybe they'll stone him, which happened in one place. So they do that. They bring him before Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia, and the Jews in Corinth united, made a united attack and brought him to the place of judgment. But then Gallio throws out, as if it's worthless and pointless what they're doing, and then what happens in, uh, in verse 17, the final clincher is, the synagogue leader Sosthenes is the one who gets beat up by the crowd. The one who is trying to bring Paul to get him beat up and sent out of... After Paul's journey, if you read through this, if you're reading it in one sitting, you'd laugh out loud. I, I mean, you would. You'd have the sense of like that, that justice of a story where the, you know, the, the bad side finally gets flipped. Because Paul was supposed to get beat up. And the crowd turns on Sosthenes. Um... That, in, in a sense, there's, there's the sense of humor and irony of the... You never would have guessed where God was at work and where he had a plan. I have many people in this city. And people come and go, you know. We talked about Jonathan. He's off to St. Louis, off to bless St. Louis. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about Betty, and Betty was up here, and she talked about how she's off to Berkeley. And we've seen, I just mentioned earlier, Adam and Malia, you know, their disappearing act last summer while I was gone. They're up in the Auburn area. Um, they were out here uh, last weekend helping somebody uh, move. And, over, you know, I could list Darren. I could talk about Darren. I could talk about Brandon. I could talk about Ryan and Karen. I could talk about um, Ann, Kim, and Andrew Wang. And all these people, on and on and on, all these wonderful people. And guess what? 
when I was in this early phase and I moved to, to Sacramento and I was terrified, but I had the sense that God was maybe going to start a church and the church didn't have a name yet even. And I, this sounds crazy and, and, you know, almost that little, little shade of embarrassment to admit it, but sitting in my work, my home office, making lists of the people I was meeting, and even on, on paper, maybe on a tripod, I forget, maybe hanging them on the wall, and spending time looking at these lists of all these people I was meeting and, and praying for them and kind of think, leaning into like, what, do I reach out, do I call, do I take them out for coffee, and all this kind of stuff. You know, I'm starting a church. I don't know anyone. And almost none of those people on those lists made up City Life Church eventually. And I could look at that and go, oh, you know, failure, fruitlessness. But then look here, today. None of you were on those lists. I'm glad you're here. And it, so you say, um, who's next? That's, that's what we're left with. Who's next? And perhaps you're not living under a burden that it's not going to happen if you don't do something about it. But perhaps you're open, you're prayerful, and you're ready so that when those opportunities are there, you at least imagine this might be important. This might be one of the people that God says, I have many people in the city of Sacramento. That's why you're here. Let's pray. God of grace, Liberate us from messages of guilt and burdens that you carried for us already. And then through our peace and joy-filled lives that we might exhibit once in a while, may you bring your peace and joy to others that they may be freed from unnecessary burdens under which we live. And make this church a church of a whole mixture of people and sinners and failures and apparent, with apparently fruitless lives that for whatever reason you have decided you put us together and you bless the city. In Jesus' name, amen.